everybody. Welcome back to our live stream. My name is Johannes Verweinen. I'm the uh, principal instructor at deepdives.eu. Um, got a pretty long background in, in development and uh, machine learning data analytics. Uh, and with me, as always, I have Mikko Nieminen. Hello. And uh, we're going to be talking about generative AI today. So, so uh, this is a topic picked by you, Mikko. Uh, can you give me a little bit of background of, of what your interest is in, in Gen AI? Everything, to be honest. I'm, I'm interested in where it came from and uh, so a little bit about the history and then uh, where we are now and where we are going. And I think I have a bunch of questions here waiting for you. So if you just get started and I just keep asking you, hopefully sure. not stupid questions, but you'll be the judge. Sure. So um, a lot of the Gen AI models that are, are out there, kind of going history first, right, um, are, are based on uh, large language models. And, um, Large language models are basically the, the current state of art for natural language processing, which is a, a specific field um, of AI. Right? In that field, we have many things. We have stuff like uh, translating uh, or transcribing audio into text, translating text between languages, and, and that kind of stuff. So, so um, this this started already quite a uh, a while ago, uh, I remember attending a course or maybe just one lecture on uh, vector ve vector embedding or text embedding into vectors, um, which brought at that moment, like ten, over 10 years ago, a surprisingly nice uh, results. And basically that's stop you kind right of, there. What yeah. is text embedding? Yeah. So <laughs> traditionally in, in machine learning, um, what we need to, to use um, as, as input data is structured data, right? Mm -hmm. So we would have uh, maybe, uh, we would try to predict somebody's salary. Uh, and as input data, we would have something like an age and your education level and where you live and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then based on that, the examples of those kinds using machine learning model, we would then be able to predict your salary based on those those, those other pieces of data alone. Now, okay. um, thinking about text, that's a little bit difficult because we can have uh, text consists of words, and we can say the same things with putting words in a different order within a sentence. So, 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 so a single sentence cannot be like one data point. So what we need to do in, in, instead of looking at these um, individual words uh, plus their their meaning in context, is as we need to to somehow uh, create a version of those words that is is better or easier for machine learning model to understand. And vectorization is. Um, I think the uh, we have a Wikipedia page for word to ec. Yeah. So so vectorization of of uh, words, it's basically what we do when we're we're preparing text for ingestion into a machine learning model. So instead of using the actual text, what we're doing is we're we're tokenizing uh, words and we're turning them into vectors. So, so basically a, a uh, direction um, in an n-dimensional world <laughs> and then um, um, some kind of a, a distance as well. And, and this allows us to do interesting things. So, so once um, a, a vectorization algorithm starts to work, uh, we can start to do vector math on it. And the way this was explained to me originally at the university was, was exactly this uh, example here, right? So, so in this n-dimensional vector space, we would have a separate vector for a man 
and a woman, uh, and a king and a queen. <laughs> now, let's take the difference of the vectors between a man and a woman. Right? We, we, we can do that in math. We can find what the, the, the difference is. That's another vector. And then if we add that vector to the king vector, we should get to the queen vector automatically. And, and this basically means that this solves one of the original problems that we had when we started with AI. Like I think if we're, for the first, um, well, not the first 10 years, but, but like in the 60s and 70s, quite a lot of time was spent in, in trying to get an AI to understand to understand um, concepts. So we would create these hierarchies of concepts, like you know, a, a king uh, to a queen is the same thing as a man is to a woman, uh, to be able to deduce um, context of, of things. But back then, we did do that programmatically. So people would use you know, literally their whole research uh, life to create this, this kind of a hierarchy of words and concepts to put into a an AI to then be able to to reason based on and explicitly making those connections. Yeah, like exactly. By, by person. Yeah. And now with um, word embeddings, this happens automatically. So if we just have a large enough corpus of uh, text, we can create this kind of a vector model um, that without then, people trying to manual. Connection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so it kind of understands the context by just being, seeing re repetitions of these words being used in specific uh, uses. And then it kind of figures out the, the end outcome is basically this vector model where we can then. Okay. So, so once we have this vector model, um, even though it might be interesting, we're not actually doing any math. But this is how the, the, the large language model understands different concepts, and then understands the context in which we are asking it maybe to, to generate some text for us or, or to, to label something for us, right? So the language model itself is automatically created. Um, and then that language model is then used to understand, first of all, what is uh, required, um, and then to, to possibly also generate uh, some answers. So this is kind of where, where we're coming from. Um, and, and I remember some early work by by Haba, Hannu Toivonen, um, again, over 10 years ago, where he made uh, a machine learning model generate um, poems in Finnish. And he even uh, had an art installation for that. People would come to the installation and everybody would keep, get a poem printed for them. <laughs> that was generated by an AI. So, so back then, that, those models were still uh, fairly small, not perfect, uh, but it kind of has existed even prior to the, the modern kind of craze that were. So, so um, I think if you look at history here, um, it talks about the general AI uh, history, but then uh, and and then we're starting to see stuff like Mark Markov chains. So this will then lead to uh, uh, RNNs later on, uh, and then those would able enable us to do stuff like autoencoding uh, and then GANs to to kind of better the result of generating something. So, so maybe a little bit about the GAN. Um, kind of in, in, in layman's terms, um, what a GAN is that is that we have this generator of um, whatever, right? Here, it looks to be an image. It could also be text. Think of it as being the poem, right? So we have a generator that just generates random poems. Um, and then what we have is a discriminator. This discriminator has been trained on what poems are supposed to look like. So it'll give a score back to the generator 
for the poem that it has generated. And then that uh, allows the generator to, to, uh, uh, to, to uh, better the quality of its output without having to have a human being there manually again. Giving, so they giving are competing with each other. Yeah. And this is also how um, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Google Go um, AI was, was created, right? So, so traditionally, you could think of, of maybe, maybe a chess game is easier to think of. If you want to create an AI that can play chess, uh, you can first give it like the, the rules <laughs> to, you, to use when making moves. Um, that will not help. You can you can try to make a search based on a on a, a tree of positions that will somehow better your your position if you have some kind of a, a good measure of, of how far you are. Um, or then you can actually make your your machine learning model read through all of the played chess matches that we have transcripts for. So then it sees different kinds of patterns of how we can respond to things that have happened on the chessboard. But that still doesn't make it a very good chess player. The, the final moment for, for an AI to become a good player is when it can play against itself, because there's only that many chess matches ever played by humans. And it's fairly quick for, for an AI are. to play those chess games. Do you know yeah. who's the best? Do you know who's the best chess player at the moment? Is this still the Swede? Uh, Norwegian. Magnus Norwegian. Carlsen. Yeah. Norwegian. Magnus. And he will lose lose against computers nowadays. Yeah, probably not every match. But... Yeah, but, but still, he's the computers are better than him. Or the best best chess engines are better than him. Yeah, and then there are, of course, also always these uh, kind of uh, edge cases. Like if we, if we say that it's uh, speed chess, uh, something else, you know, in a smaller envelope, you, know, you can still probably get a, a human uh, to win when what kind of intuition uh, make, makes a bigger, bigger uh, has a bigger effect. Yeah, that's actually yeah, interesting. This going beyond uh, like uh, a other topic, but. Is it is it going to be easier or harder for humans if you give limited time per move? And that's yeah. it's an interesting <laughs> question. It's yeah. it could be other way around that computers are even better when you have limited amount of time. It depends on how how it has been implemented. But yeah, so so because like if you watched the Go World Champion, the the big event back then, um, it actually took the AI fairly long decide on what the next move is going to be. Okay. And when was this? Like half ago. When, when was it? But but like recently or like years ago? Years ago, yeah. Years ago. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that has changed already. But let's get back to the, the actual this topic, month. which was uh, Gen AI. Yeah. So so this is kind of the the the, the background. Or Gen AIs. Kind of these were the previous um, kind of um, um, ideas on on how to create an AI where we don't need to basically manually program the AI to understand concepts, but to let it learn those themselves and then use that to query it for something. That, that basically could just be playing a game. Um, it could be labeling images, or it could be generating something like text or, or images or, 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 or whatever. And the, the big thing that happened was um, a, a transformer. So kind of prior to, to transforming, um, a lot of this stuff used RNNs, um, where we basically look at one token, one of these uh, vectors at a time, um, and then decide what to do next in, in this kind of a uh, specific uh, format. And uh, where do we have the trainer? Here. This is what a uh, transformer nowadays um, looks like. 
So, where so does it start with the input? Yeah, it doesn't really, you know, tell you a lot, but uh, you can see the input here on the bottom left hand side. There's an embedding, so this will change. So, what would be input. the input? Uh, text. Text. Okay. For example, so so we would be embedding the input uh, into vectors, um, and then what we do is uh, we use this attention function. It's called a multi-head attention function, and, and the idea. Um, with attention is actually the same as, as what we do when we're reading text. Right? If you're reading a sentence in a book, you're actually not reading every, every word. Your, your attention is focused on some words in that sentence. And this, is, this is something that we learn um, over time as we're reading more and more. We kind of foster readers because we we can skip over stuff that we don't think to be that important. And that is what actually changed the whole world of, of um, natural language processing. So this attention um, allows the paralyzation of reading through text. So previously it was done using an RNN where we need to run each word or each vector through the whole network one by one, one pass at a time. That takes a lot of time. It's, it's serial, it cannot be paralyzed. Whereas with the attention method, we would actually be able to, to parallelize it. So that's why it's called a multi-head attention. So it's looking at several worlds simultaneously and then weighing those words depending on the context. And then that way, uh, um, creating this, uh, or, or being that way, it, it's, it's a lot faster to train the model, the, the language model than, than previously. And we're doing the same thing also for, for, for the output. output. And uh, I don't want to go too much into, into detail <laughs> regarding what, what the um, attention is, but... Um, Good question. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned that you know when when you're training a model, and and let, let's focus on the large language models. How long does it take to train a model? This, it depends on the model it, size. It, of course. So let's uh, uh, let's say it doesn't uh, you, you don't train it on your laptop, but if if you're let's say talking about Bard or ChatGPT, how long does it take to train a model like that? Just to give an uh, to get an idea how enormous task that is. Yeah, let's see if we get get some number. Yeah, here are the numbers. Um, so there are a couple of things here um, that affect the training time. The first thing is the size of the model. So so this is a neural network. So we 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 say how many parameters, and with that we mean um, how many weights there are in that network. Right, because each weight needs to be uh, optimized. So, if you look at uh, early uh, uh, LLMs like GPT-1 from 2018, it had 117 million parameters. So, a network with 117 million connections. And then, whenever we are training for each example, we are basically updating all of those 117 million <laughs> parameters. <laughs> Or if we make a mistake when we are training, then we are up to those <laughs> parameters. So that's kind of one thing, right? So that's one dimension in which we can grow, right? So, so Bert from Google uh, then had 340 million parameters. The GPT-2 had 1.5 billion, GPT-3, 175 billion, um, and so on and so on and so on, right? So, so and, now we are what, what, Where are we now? Trillions. Like latest. Is 2.7, 46.7 billion. There was something with trillions as well. But yeah, here, a, this one by something Huawei. different. Hmm? So, so what, what does it mean compared to the chat GPT, the first version? And this was 2023, and that was only five 19... years ago. 
So it's, it's so, our number of parameters. So it's different. Go scroll scroll down to the trillion. What was the number of parameters there? Which one? So so that's already one thousand times larger in two years. One thousand yeah. times more. Yeah, but as you can see, we're not really going any further than that, right? So the only we have reached. So what yeah, the, kind of the, so the outlier here is Glenn. Roger. Well, as you know, can you compare learning, them directly? If Are they the, comparable the, the numbers? Is, so if it's one million times larger, is it one million times better? No. Well, no. In machine learning, the the model complexity, um, then of course, um, kind of affect the the pro, pro, the probability of overfitting. So the more complex the model is. The, the more likely it is that we don't have enough data um, for for to to set up all of those weights, so it's just that, that leads to, yeah that leads to overfitting, and then overfitting can be kind of characterized as being memorization. So then the model model just remembers the correct answer instead of generalizing. Then it exactly. will fail when seeing unseen data, right? So so but yeah, but we, we're we're kind of in the hundred billion range, roughly, and that that uh, we we came from in in just let's say five years, we we have thousand or million times larger models. Yeah, in, in some sense. So how long does it yeah. take to train one? Well, because the, that depends on the other dimension as well, right? Okay, go so, ahead. so training even the biggest model with just one data point, fairly fairly. <laughs> Fast, right? So the other thing is that that how many how much data do you play through the model in training, right? So, so that that's the corpus size here. So Bert was uh, using three point three million words. It says here uh, we're sometimes saying tokens here, and uh, in layman's terms, it's kind of the same thing: words or or tokens. So it's just text. Yeah, uh, it could be. Other things than text as well. Yeah, yeah, okay, but but for but our purposes, three point three billion words is not like three point three billion English words, individual distinct English words, naturally, but just all the books and all the web pages and yeah, things like that. So for GPT two, we know that they used forty gigs of uh, data, so about ten billion um, tokens. TPD three three hundred billion um, tokens, and and kind of as the this number gets bigger, then the network number uh, or, or the parameters number should get bigger bigger as well, because otherwise we're we're doing um, underfitting, right? So we are having so much uh, the, so much data that our network is not complex enough to be able to you know find all of the differences. Uh, between that data, so they they, they kind of go hand in hand, even though there are different dimensions in which we're we're growing. So so basically, kind of crudely thinking, the, the time it takes to to train a model um, is dependent on both the training data size and then the network size, and then probably also hyperparameters. In, you know what, what type of batching we do for training and so. On. So now the, the problem is that these very large models, like 175 billion um, uh, parameters, these, these do not fit onto the memory of your GPU, right? So, so we're first of all, when we're doing neural network training, we're mostly doing that on a GPU because we need to do a lot of kind of uh, backwards calculus stuff, which happens to be what GPUs do very well, because in 3D graphics, you need to do the same thing. So, um, and another thing that's great with G GPUs is that the memory bandwidth to the graphics memory is really fast. So traditionally with machine, with um, uh, neural networks, what we try to do is we try to fit the whole model. So all of the parameters um, of the model into the GPU memory, then we don't need to, to talk to the main memory at all. We can just do all of the calculations locally over there 
and things run really, really, really quickly. Now, these models don't fit there. So what we need to do here is we need to actually split the model into multiple parts, and then different GPUs take care of each part and then uh, communicate with each other um, the, the intermediate results so, so that they that can continue. And this is, this is a science of its own in kind of how to parallelize using model parallelization, uh, parallelize the uh, training of these. Uh, the outcome is that, that even with very, very large clusters of computers having the latest GPU on them, it still takes ages and costs millions for, for training of, of these models. But I think that was the answer that you were looking for. And the ages is, give, give me something concrete. Is it days, weeks, months, years? It depends on, on how much capacity you take, right? So, so these um, parallelize not linearly, but they parallelize quite nicely nowadays. So, so and you can do both model and data parallelization simultaneously. So, so basically, the more hardware you throw at the problem, the, the quicker it gets done. Yeah. yeah. So uh, on your computer, on your what you're using right now, it's never going to be finished. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're putting enough uh, hardware onto it, then then it has uh, the possibility of of being uh, done in in a, in a reasonable amount of time. It's Just like, kind of like see a few months can... or no weeks or or, or weeks. even one week. Yeah, I think in, in reInvent, in one of the keynotes, they were talking about one specific model that they were able to now, um, it, it was some company's specific large language model that they were now able to actually train in a week instead of several weeks previously. And, and, <clears throat> okay, just a, a, again, a beginner question here. Uh, I'm not inventing these. I, I've really, this, is, this comes from my heart. Uh, if if you train a model like that, that takes, let's say it took you two weeks to train and it was really expensive. You had a ridiculous amount of data which you used to train it with. Okay. Then half a year later, your, your, your training data and the data that you want to use to train it with has increased. Do you start from scratch or do you just continue some, or how, how does it go from there? So you can do additive. So, but both options are valid, right? So you can do additive training. So you basically just just uh, play the new data to the model and let it update the, the weights. Um, that's done, especially with very large corpuses. Um, with LLMs themselves, there are actually multiple other ways to update the model, not actually requiring any retraining either. So, so the, the products that we are seeing, like ChatGPT, um, they I think ChatGPT puts out a new version of the model every three months or every four months, something like that. So um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they retrained the model. There might be something else. There might be some, some uh, parameters that have changed. So it's still using the same language model, but then there is something else. There, there is some... Um, training going on with regards to which answers should be preferred over others. Right? And that's why when that's, you, that's why every now and then it asks, do you prefer this one or the, the previous answer if you? Well, yeah, and, and the original yeah, ChatGPT. Yeah, so I think it's ChatGPT3 um, here. Yeah, so this is the original kind of, uh, one that 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 was was good, um, right? Yeah, it's a decoder only transformer model, um, and and the idea th this model actually came out uh, fairly early, uh, but it was it was not really usable um, at that moment. So so what happened was that they used some reinforcement learning to be able. Um, to make the answers better. And what they had for that it was human beings that would actually um, you know, run through different kinds of questions with the model and then give them a score. Um, and, and that's one of the things that we're, we're doing 
um, a lot. So we're, instead of totally retraining your model, um, if you would have the, re the necessity to, to prefer certain types of answers, Let, let's say that you would have a kind of a role model, um, but then you would want to make some content that's suitable for kids. So you would need to remove all of the profanities from the output. So there are two ways to do that, right? Either you, you take away all of the profanities from the input, and that way <laughs> the language model doesn't know about it, but then you would need to retrain the whole model right from zero. Or you can just train the output part, right? So just kind of uh, kind of crudely thinking, put a filter in place that removes any answer that includes uh, a profanity. But in reality, what we're doing is we're we're, we're uh, weighting the the outputs differently. So, so and not only profanities, you, kind of uh, you could be uh, you you'd probably want to avoid uh, too complex words. You you want to have a limited like. Uh, Set of that words that you're using if 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 the output is meant for uh, younger people, or yeah. if it's meant for people who are not, for example, fluent with in English. Yeah, right. You could yeah. use simpler simpler English. Yeah, exactly. And the, the models actually work quite quite well when 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 you are asking for uh, something, you can ask, uh, could you just rewrite that with using simpler terms and more simple words and it works quite well. Yeah, but that, that's, I think that's kind of how large language models work, at least on a high level. Here you can actually see the, this is the- uh, Can you zoom in a little bit? Multi-head attention um, visualization. So, so for each token in a set, um, we simultaneously calculate how important the other tokens are right, for, for the context. And then that gives, gives the uh, model the possibility to, to concentrate on what is really important in some text. And this basically made this training of these huge models possible. <laughs> like otherwise, it's still technically possible, but it would take really ages to, uh, to work with this. Okay. Well, the changes where, uh, like, Chat GPT was released a bit, like, thirteen or fourteen months ago. Is yeah, the exactly the, the one so, that that really got popular. That yeah, it was received. launched November 30, twenty two. So when we talk about GPT, the GPT model did exist before Chat GPT. So it's called the 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 generative retrained transformer. So it's a, it's a transformer model. It was, it didn't have a UI. Um, and it's, it, that GPT then kind of broke the bank by making this more approachable for, for persons. So it's, it's GPT 3.5 or four nowadays that the uh, chat GPT implementation is. is um, but there, there were a few things that needed to happen for this to work. First of all, uh, we had to have the science behind this. And then we also had to have enough horsepowers. We, we need to have uh, lots of hardware, cheap yeah. enough hardware, right? Yeah. So it's it's not only about the, the science or, or the theory. It, in, we needed a lot of CPUs with or, or GPUs and lots of memory. And then the right moment, and of course, when everybody started to use them, or not everybody, but more and more people started to use them, then it became also profitable to to retrain the models and all that. I'm not a business person, but it makes sense that if no one is using them, then it would be a bit of a uh, waste of money to spend millions and millions of every every month just for fun to retrain the model. Yeah, and uh, and the, another thing here is that it's not only the training that makes money; it's actually also the inference. So because this model is so big, then that even do just doing the inference, even just asking okay, something. So we've been only talking now about basically talking about the the first half 
of training the model, but then of course you get to use that. So how big is the is the model when when it's it's been trained, it's ready, and I write a question to to regardless of what the, the model is. I uh, ask a question uh, about something, then what happens? Okay, so, so in general, what, what happens in the background? I, I give input, I ask a question. When it when would it be nice to where would it be nice to celebrate my birthday? Yeah. So it depends on what type of language model we're talking about. So, so uh, since you have Chat GPT there, uh, open. Yeah, so Chat GPT is a, is an auto regressive um, um, a model, right? A language model. So what that means is that um, it basically only um, looks forward in the the order of the tokens and this this is actually important when you're using to understand when you're using a model so right so so if you ask it something it reads in your question um one token at the time and, and so the, the context um is, is really important to come first um uh, because it can't infer the context um, um later on so you need to be careful to put things into the correct order in the prompt. And then what it does is it tries to find or it generates output, right? And the idea is that it tries to generate the, the most probable output regarding your input. And it does this generation also one token at the time. So that leads to some uh, interesting hallucinations that you might see but kind of um this kind of goes goes together with prompt engineering prompt engineering is kind of how to ask questions from uh, a large language model and, and kind of the the i guess the general gist is that, that first tell it what you want first tell, your, tell it that um, so in, in my case would it be that i want to celebrate my birthday or what what do you mean what yeah so so um i want i have a birthday on the next saturday next, next yeah next friday friday Ish. okay uh i have a uh, a birthday on next friday um give me the best options of places where um i want to party uh, where, where i can party so, so you in the beginning tell it what to do, and then you can add information. And then you can say like, uh, "I'm roughly X years old. My guests like these and these kind of things. This can this kind of food would be nice. This and this kind of drinks." But in general, um, the, the 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 more stuff you have, the less interested the model is <laughs> in, in what you're saying. So the, the the important stuff needs to be there at the very beginning, and that's okay. because we're we're kind of parsing the input one token at the time. And if we decide, if kind of think of it as being like a branching logic, mm -hmm. if we decide something on a early on token, then we can't kind of go back anymore. So I have an example here. So I, let's say I'm I'm not I have a uh, um, an event that I want to arrange, and if I say in the beginning I ha I'm I'm uh, having a birthday party so that's making a branching decision there and the other option is that okay unfortunately there's a funeral that i need to arrange so that's mm -hmm. kind of a huge difference there and if you make that in the beginning then yeah kind of then, you then, then you make sure. completely different end results yeah and that's but, the so what would with... be a bad prompt then just to give you a counter example let's stick um, with, that, with the birthday party yeah, so uh, what are nice restaurants in the area where I am currently? Be uh, I want to pick it because I want to arrange a birthday party. Okay, yeah, yeah, I got it, yeah. So it's going kind of, it, it, you're giving so, it the chance to go the wrong way in the beginning. If I uh, describe my guests and my hobbies and, and my preferences in the beginning, and then at the end I'd say, oh, by the way, it's it's a birthday party or a yeah. funeral or... I don't yeah. know, a kid's birthday uh, party. You might still get 
answers, of course, but generally speaking, the, those answers should be uh, worse than if you... I need to test this. I will, I will test this. But there's another thing that you can do, which is uh, kind of one-shot training. So um, as part of the prompt, after you have said what it is that you want, you give it examples of uh, answers. That helps the, uh, the model to kind of concentrate on the right thing. And that's kind of how you can make uh, JetGPT even do math. So if you, you, if you just ask it something, it doesn't really understand that. But, but if you give it examples of similar questions and their correct answers, then you're making it more likely for it to actually be able to. So how, in general, how, how large can the prompt be then? Um, it depends on the model, right? Naturally. So well, let's chat GPT. Just, I, I'm, I don't want to favor chat GPT here, but since that we've been talking about that, like, yeah, so now, the prompt size. Blah, 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 blah. I think it's something like 20,000. And when you are asking additional questions, will it, will, the, the previous questions and the answers are part of the prompt or? Yeah, so, what, so if you interact with chat GPT, then yeah. yeah. That's what I mean, yes. So that's another way that you can, um, so, so another way to, uh, kind of one way to think about prompt engineering um, is, Try to give the LLM or ChatGPT um, instructions on how to get to the correct answer. Like in your example, um, you could add like, okay, disregard any um, wine bars. You don't like wine. <laughs> um, prefer, prefer places that have foreign beers. And that way, yeah, if you kind of can break the problem down, either in the original prompt uh, or, or like telling it how to reason through a math problem, uh, or then by by doing a, a secondary round, right? So kind of first giving it a, a partial question, and then it comes back with the result, and then tell it to to further uh, change the the um, answer. So that by breaking your big problem into smaller problems you make the the possibility of a good answer coming <laughs> higher. Yeah. So uh, and then, um, like secondary rounds. Yeah. And another thing is to, to remember it, that it, it only looks forward, right? It, so it, it generates the output one token at a time. So you can also try to affect it by telling it uh, to first reason and then give the answer. That way, uh, there was like a, an example of a math prompt where, where it was like asked uh, whether some uh, value is a uh, prime number. Uh, and then it was specifically asked in the prompt to show the reasoning. And then in one version of ChatGPT, it actually answered first wrongly that no, this is not a prime number. But then it gave the reasoning uh, that it actually is a prime number. <laughs> right? <laughs> And that's just, if you would have told it to reason first and then give the answer, um, it wouldn't have made that error, right? It's just because if it answered immediately, it kind of just the first token went the wrong way, but then it actually showed that it, 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 it you know, it's just text generation. There is no logic there. <laughs> it doesn't okay, know let, that it is reasoning. Let's, let's continue from that. So uh, we have about 15 minutes left here. So what's the future? Uh, uh, so I understand now when, when you ask something, it, it doesn't, it, it's not an entity that understands the answer itself. It's just generating, it's just math, right? Yeah. So how that large should the model be so that it's self-aware or how, how, how close we are to that? Well, it can't be because it's just generating text. One token. So what's the difference between that and your brain? That's a, that's a good point. So actually your brain is also generating text one token at a time. Uh, you might be uh, making some pauses and then thinking about what you're going to say next, but the actual text output is just kind of one at a time. Uh, this, this is, there's this discussion about math, 
which is a little bit simpler than your question, which kind of mm -hmm. shows where we are. So the question basically from the, from the math context is, does GPT have a world simulation? So does it basically has what? A, a world simulation? Yeah. Uh, well, so yeah. A world model, a world model. Think about that. So, so basically what that means is, does ChatGPT, when you're asking it a math question, understand that there are these numbers and that there are rules how to combine these numbers and then do the result based on that? Or does it just look at examples and then figure out what the most probable answer is? Now, the, the thing here is that we don't know. And the, the other thing here is that we don't know if there is a difference. We don't know whether there is a difference in us having this kind of model of how the world works uh, and then reasoning based on that um, is what we want to do, or whether the whole world actually is just probabilistic. So we're just seeing patterns and reacting to them. Right. So, so and, and that kind of shows you that where we are currently. So, so it's because of the size of the model, we can't go back inside to the parameters and see how that GPT is actually working. Right? We, we can't see whether in those parameters it actually has created some kind of a limited model of the world that it then actually uses to reason, or whether it's just all statistics, or whether they are actually the same thing. So that's where we are. The reason why I ask this is, uh, if, if you think of your brain just a, a simpler, uh, in, in simpler terms, you have brain is just just a bunch of neurons, right, which are connected with each other, and if you have a neural network on, on a computer, I don't see why the computer one will not be as large and uh, complex as the human brain someday. Yeah, but that, that, does that spontaneously give us? But um, I I don't see what's the, I I don't think there's a difference there. Other people think otherwise uh, in different ways, but I think it's just a different uh, medium. One works on uh, silicon, and the other one is the brain tissue. Yeah, so just uh, so chemical the... reactions and. But yeah, uh, that's not about. Uh, this is uh, a bit. <laughs> away from the topic of generative AI. But in general, I, I think that the computers will will reach uh, self-awareness at some point. So you, you might disagree. If it's, just, if it's just the number of neurons, then are uh, some animals also um, self-aware? Are they self-aware? It's yeah, hard, to, hard to uh, prove for simpler animals. Or entities, but do, is is there something else with the Gen AI that we want to cover? It we have about twelve minutes or so. Let's see. It's going to show you this picture. Yep. Because humans have like eighty-six billion neurons in the brain, and then we are considering ourselves self-aware. So chimpanzees and gorillas are fairly close to us, um, but have clearly less uh, neurons. Um, and, and maybe we're thinking as them as not being as self-aware, or, or at least at with with smaller animals. But then we have uh, things like elephants that have way more neurons. Um, maybe a bit us. redundancy there as well. Yeah, so it's not just the number of neurons. So self-awareness doesn't kind of spring out of complexity automatically. There needs to be something else there as well. So, uh, mm. and that's kind of what makes the difference. Um, so from a complexity point of view, there, of course, there are differences between neural networks and brain neurons. But we could use human as a, as a good uh, kind of a baseline that if you have, what was it? It's so small, I can see this. 86, 86. 86 billion neurons, yeah. then if you have that amount of that, in that order, the ballpark, then something could happen. Yeah, GPT-4 
Um, here, we're talking about parameters. So these are basically connections between neurons. So it's a mm -hmm. different number, but you could try to average out things and then see how close uh, GPT is. There's a rumor about GPT-4 having 1.76 trillion parameters, which could be like close to, or I don't know, but could be close to 80 billion neurons. And depending, but yeah, it's 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 interesting. Uh, but but yeah, so like I said, currently in the way that we're using the neural network is we're just pushing uh, data through it. So so there is like no spontaneous action. So, so right now it's just basically just statistics, and it was just really complicated <laughs> statistics. Really, yeah. Hey, let's. Here's another one. Uh, say something about the ethics of gen ai is, is there something that we need to be aware of something that we need to kind of uh, be careful with yeah so there, there there are many things here um so, so one of the things that that of course from an end user point of view um cha changes with gen ai is that, that now we, a machine can actually generate believable um, content, that being text, images, audio, whatever, right? So, so that's kind of one aspect of it. So, so we need to, we cannot trust um, that something has been generated by a human. And, and then the other part is the training data, right? So, so the output, the basic machine learning, right? Uh, if you output trash into the uh, or input trash into the model, then you will get trash. As, as output as well. So, so what has been the corpus that has been used for training? Um, I think GPT-1 was based on uh, Reddit threads only, <laughs> and links outwards from, from, from Reddit. Um, some of the See open some problems source there. Yeah, some of the open source models are based on um, uh, these data sets, like uh, the English Wikipedia uh, text, uh, and then there's like an open source books um, text set as well. Um, but it, it truly um, is interesting. So you kind of need to be aware of, of where the data comes from. Does it include data that you're agreeing with or not? Um, and, and then on the other hand, uh, does it use copyrighted works as, as input, right? So if something is on the internet, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're able to use them. And this has been actually uh, used in, in reality as well. So I think New York Times um, asked its content to be removed from a uh, large language model. I don't remember which one, but uh, and that request was then uh, complied with. Yeah, and I can also see problems with, if you are using generative AI to, to create some, some text, which is, more fact than fiction, then what if the, the model has been trained with fiction, like like books, not not like biographies, but like just yeah, like uh, yeah. fiction. Yeah, the, you, it, it might it produce just, good text. It probably does produce good text, but by you just remember that there is no truth in the output, right? Mm -hmm. That. GPT or generative AI models don't know whether they are telling the truth or not. They're just giving can, you yeah, the most probable sequence. They give focus. very plausible, plausible explanations and, and 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 answers, but you really have to know the topic and you need, really have to go through the uh, the answers. If you're if you're complete uh, beginner of a topic and ask for answers, you don't know that the answers are incorrect. Exactly. I, I've noticed that, that you really and, and have one to of be the, careful with the out, output. Yeah, one of the, one of the reasons for that, facts, that is. One of the reasons for that is that I think it's it's using um, uh, greedy, greedy search um, when it is doing the text generation. So that means that it, it, it only selects the, the most probable next word in its output, one word at a time. And that's really problematic because 
the the actual best answer could have a word like a lot of tokens ahead that would yeah, then yeah. give you the best uh, probability for the whole sentence. But ChatGPT can can't do that because it's too complex as a model. It cannot search through except one one. And uh, you can actually one. see that when, especially when it's the the slow slow time. Uh, of, of the day of meaning that there are lots of users for chat GPT, you can see that it's really slowly generating the output. Yeah. Like and that's why it's important. A few to tokens at a time when it from the user interface point of view. But still you can see that it's generating the text yeah. even slower than you can read. So you can you, you really have to wait. And that, that's also why it's important to always tell it to to kind of start by reasoning so that it can generate the correct result. By, by first doing the reasoning part. Yeah. Yeah, there, I, there, I really there's, there's just so much more to, to talk about here. Um, and maybe we could do um, some some separate videos on. I, I, yeah, on, maybe, uh, maybe we take a, like a more focused, we focus on one specific topic, some yeah. topic here, and then. But at least this should have been a, a nice intro into large language models. Uh, with with uh, natural language processing, uh, a little bit of a look at behind the scenes how things really work, uh, but like one hour is definitely not enough to to kind of go into specifics. Yeah, it's scratching the surface. Um, okay, one more question we have about just a couple of more minutes. Uh, how give give us some ideas how businesses or individuals could use the models. Not just like you know, like generate their uh, the they're in the university and they need to write an essay and they just use chat GPT or equivalent to to answer. But something else is there something else that maybe not that popular yet, but the, a, a way to use these large language models. So what what they've been used for now is um, generating answers uh, based on, on questions. Uh, and what we're what they're doing then is they're they're adding like their own internal knowledge base to the corpus of um, the uh, the uh, language model, um, and then that allows people to to for example ask a question in natural language. Like for AWS, you could ask, uh, you know, uh, how many CPUs does a M5 large have? And then it will be able to answer that. In natural language, which then of course also helps with uh, people who don't know how to write or read, because you could just as well do it via audio, because it's natural language, not something um, specific. And th this has been used quite quite a bit uh, now, and it seems to be like the the first proper use case, kind of making these knowledge bases more acceptable for for a larger uh, number of people. Okay. That's, then of yeah, course the, the, the law, the, the the cases where people would uh, try to look up some cases uh, that really didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, and that, I I remember one of those. Um, so probably we will see in the future. So the, all this happened from like uh, the user's point of view in the past. A bit, a bit more than a year, but of course, yeah. a lot of things happened before that, so that we are at this point. Just like with yeah. uh, with your cellular phones, you, you you just at one point in time you started to have mobile phones, but a lot of things happened before that, which allowed you to have mobile phones and the networks and all that. So, yeah. if if we take a look into this in in five years, we are probably going to see something. That we don't even imagine today that we could have. Yeah, and we we didn't Might even have time to look at the um, auto encoder models. So so maybe we need to to kind of uh, discuss that. Well, what are the differences and why would somebody be using auto encoder model instead of an auto regression? And we didn't look at the image image generator uh, generating. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm a photographer, so I I'm really I've been. Uh, looking at those images as well. Some of them are really good, and some of them are hilarious. <laughs> so maybe you're going to host the image one, yeah? 
yeah, maybe that 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 would be actually really very interesting. I'll, right. I'll uh, generate my favorite images first and then showcase them. Okay. So um, I think we thank have you, Johannes, for this. It's really informative. No, thank you for putting me on the spot and making me try to to. Um, That's always my pleasure. And um, yeah, for everybody who's listening, thanks a lot for, for being here. And we're going to continue next week. Did we have a topic? We had a few. Uh, we have a few options here, so we'll we'll create. Let's, let's keep that a secret. Definitely. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about yet next week. All right, cool. Yeah, thanks for being here, and uh, see you again next week. Till then. All right. Bye bye. -bye.